Hey, it's Farik here. I'm here with Daryl Coulter. Welcome to the Warrior Pitcher Podcast. And in this episode, we're going to talk about what we have seen change, uh, things we've learned um, in the pitching world since our last episode, which was a few months ago. And if you want more information on uh, the work that Daryl and I do, uh, go to the warriorpitcher.com. Go to the warriorpitcher.com. So, Daryl, it's kind of waste no time. Um, it's been a few months since the last podcast, uh, the conclusion of season one. And, uh, boy, a lot has changed. What, what are the things that you're seeing and that you've seen in the pitching world kind of change? Well, I tell you what, I think it's interesting, man, to just jump right into this. It's like I think a couple things that stood out this year, especially at the college level, is the the quality of the young pitchers that stepped up especially in the, the D1 World Series, the, the, some of yeah. these guys that nobody's ever heard of. And I think that's always interesting because with all of the notoriety that we see today, Paul, with all of the attention that these guys get and with social media and, and all this stuff that, that I think adds a different dynamic far as like accountability, far as just like, I've been having this conversation with my young guys here in Tulsa is that like the, when you guys like go play now, even at the high school level, like there is no secrets. Like everybody's recording the game. Everybody's posting stuff. And, and you know, when we were playing, man, like you can go play the game and it was your buddies. It was just the, the people is at the game or a few things going on. And, and now we're seeing even you know the 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 true impact of social media on the like the mental side of the game, and I think that to me, the more that we're assessing and talking to to these college guys and even my pro guys, man, it's like the they're worried about what the perception is out in the world. They're worried about that. If they got if they got off to a bad start and they got a ten ERA, how embarrassing that is! And I think yeah. that's that's kind of a, a different take probably than what you were expecting. But I think that is probably the the conversation that I that I'm serious. I probably had ten ten or twelve times this summer with college and pro guys. Is like you know when we really start digging deeper into like what's going on man like what is you know apart from just the baseball specific stuff when we start talking about you know like you know how they're dealing with stuff mentally like how are they the the fact that is you know i probably heard three or four of them literally tell me that they're embarrassed like they're just yeah. embarrassed and and like they're almost ashamed of like and and then a lot of them want to quit and so I think that's probably been the biggest shocker, just pure conversation-wise with one-on-one with guys. I think overall, I think it's interesting that, you know, and especially at the big league level right now, I think it's cool to – and you'll remember these times when, the like, the, the season judges having now Paul Goldschmidt and Verlander, some of these guys that are the veteran players – it's almost like the old school player again, like they're leading in every category. And it's fun yep. to see the guys that are banging home runs, leading in, you know, being in the top 10 in batting average, being in run scored, being in 
a lot of the things that we grew up with that, you know, when you've seen that, you're like, dude, that's the best player in baseball right there. Like, this guy is the one of the best all-around players. So I think that's another cool thing that we're seeing. I think we're starting to see these the, – it's not just about the home run. It's just not just about exit velocity and how far you can hit it or, you know, from the pitching side, just how hard you can throw. I think we're starting to see – the the culmination hopefully of the best of both worlds that we we can use the analytics but we also use it in a way that that goes out and lets these guys compete and so i think that's probably the two biggest takeaways i've seen so far i know one of them was more on the hitting side but i was just excited to see that you know you got you got a judge you got guys and i'm not a big yankees guy to be real with you but it's yeah. impressive. It's impressive to see the stuff that he's doing from from the hitting side and what Otani's doing. And so, it to me, I think the game, as much as everybody wants to whine and cry about where the game's at, I think there's some great young players that are are doing some amazing things. And so, I think for all the times that you and I and, and we've been critical and picked apart some of these things that's going on, and and for for good reason. But at the same time, yeah. I think every once in a while we need to talk about the good things that are going on because there is some good things going on too, man. So what about you? What have you seen? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot that I've seen, uh, like, around mental health. And, you know, it's uh, it's funny because I, I, I've, I've been really critical of certain areas, and I'm, I'm actually uh, at a phase right now where um, I, just, I literally don't care anymore. Like, I don't care if, you know, if I – you know, make a video or put something out that maybe goes against what somebody that I'm friends with or have acquaintances with, or, you know, might lose me a coaching buddy, you know, here or there. Um, because what I'm seeing is that it's affecting more players. These things that, that, right. that not talking about these things is really starting to mm-hmm. affect players. And, you know, if you go to any, any mental game coach um, that's out there, and the mental game coaches will always point to neuroplasticity of the brain, right? That we can, we can, you know, improve our brain, control our brain, um, right. you know, that we can put different patterns and different, you know, all the, uh, you can look up the science of it, right? We, we all get it, right? The idea of neuroplasticity, um, that the brain is changeable. And so, so many of the mental game strategies that people use are based on, that idea that, okay, if you have positive visualization or positive statements or positive self-talk and all these other things that right. you know, somehow that will, you know, that will change you. But all of those studies and all of the, you know, the studies that proved that that was possible, they were done before cell phones and social media. And so it would almost be the, it would almost be the equivalent of doing a study on the effects of exercise and nutrition 50 years ago, right? right? Before, yep. before fast food, before 600-calorie coffees, before drive-through Dunkin' Donuts, where most people ate their food at home, right, made and ate their food. There was a really interesting thing. I don't know if you saw the, the Woodstock uh, documentary on Netflix, but um, they made a point to say that there was no overweight people at Woodstock in 1969, <laughs> like when yeah. you when they when they panned when they panned the the, the you know the scenery like yeah you didn't yep. see any any overweight people and it, and it wasn't like people were like ripped or shredded like you had some people that just you know were kind of soft but there wasn't anyone who was fifty pounds overweight and so you know the advent of 
social media and the cell phone is is creating um, an influx that there's no amount of you know um, meditation or visualization that you could throw after it. Much like yeah. uh, any fitness trainer will say, you can't out train a bad diet. You know, you can't take in six thousand yeah. calories and go for a you know a, a thirty minute or an hour long workout and expect that you expect you to lose weight. So there's that there's this distortion that is you know, happening now. And I see it the same way you do is that players, players are now, if, if you, if you ask players, tell me about, you know, your peers, tell me about the people that maybe are at your level or you want to be like, or colleges you want to play for or something like that. They will yeah. talk about them the way we talked about Hercules or Superman. You know, they will talk about them almost in this mythical way yeah and yep. mainly that's because yeah a great a good social media profile um you know everybody posts the best and hides the rest um can make can give someone the distortion of someone being you know superhuman um almost to the point now where i don't know if you if you saw this but there was a there's a concerning trend now of and it's in teenage girls and so I imagine mm-hmm. we'll see something like this in baseball, but teenage girls now, uh, when are, are faking illnesses, are, you know, are, you know, faking trips to the hospital, saying that they're dizzy or heart palpitations, so they could take a trip to the emergency room, so they could document it. Because when somebody sees somebody in the hospital, in a hospital bed with an IV or something, it gets more attention and more likes. Wow. Now that is. Yeah. That's yeah. shit crazy. Pardon our, I don't know if that puts yeah. it on. Yeah. On a, that's, a, that's a mental disorder. And it's also obviously all right, not taking into account somebody who may need that bed, <laughs> who, are, who may actually need it. But I, I'm sure we'll see some kind of turn of that too, where pitchers will start showcasing, I, I don't know, their arm injuries or their things and stuff like that. And it, it will turn. But yeah, I have a concern, as you do, is that that they're not comparing themselves against uh, a version of reality. They're comparing themselves against this, this collection of high points. You know, these people are posting their peak moments. And so, you know, it doesn't take uh, many peak moments to make up a good Instagram post, but, but very few people will post um, the valleys, you know, and it's, yeah, it's, I get it. And I also think the game changer stuff and the stats and while there's so many great things about it, it is creating this, uh, I don't know, what do they call it? Like the third parent or the third eye or, you know what I mean? Like that there's somebody, there's this other person watching and, you know, like, so when we think about like big brother, right. Or the government, we, we think about it in large terms, you know, large scale things that are watching us. And when kids think about their game as on Game Changer or on ESPN Plus or Hulu or whatever, man, it's like they think they think in that camera, there's the world. There's the whole baseball world, you know, lined up with their evaluation and judgment tools on standing you know, in, in judgment. Yeah, now that's and how real, they do. Man. Yeah, yeah. So I have the same concerns that, that you have around that for sure. Yeah, and I tell you what, man, I think it, not only is this a conversation that needs to be had, it, it it needs to be a point to where all of us that are in this coaching community 
no matter what level you're coaching at, no matter, you know, whether you're in the pro level, college level, high school level, youth level, this is a this is a conversation that if you choose to ignore it, is one, it's going to create uh, an unbelievable amount of anxiety in your players because yeah. this, is, this is something that's not going away. And, and this is all this generation knows. And you and I have talked about this before. Like, I'm, I'm not frustrated with it. I think, I think it's an opportunity for, for us and our generation of coaches to be able to not only try to help these kids learn the game, but for us to learn the tools and actually use it to help these kids see the game better. And I think that's where the distortion a lot of times has come because now if it's purely a number, if it's just at 90 miles an hour, if it's just hitting, you know, 95 on exit velocity or whatever your number is, if it's purely about the measurable because you're going to get more lights, then the things that they do just to try to get that measurable is probably, yeah. like you said earlier, is not going to be healthy, man, first of all. And second of all, it opens up the window for them to want to look for shortcuts. And, and that's where I think a lot of injuries are happening. It's now, is, if it's like you said, when they're going to the hospital just to get attention, and, and when we sit here now and start focusing on purely on velocity or purely on, you know, picture-perfect mechanics, or, and now we've just become this society of, of hacks and shortcuts and mimic then I think that's the, like you said, that's the false perception that we're seeing. And I'm telling you, man, I, I deal with it every day down here. We, cause I talk about it, man. I'm like you, I can, I have these conversations with these guys. I don't want it to feel weird that they think that they, they got to hide all these doubts and fears that they're having while they're playing the game. And then all these external worries they're having while they're playing the game at the same time. And yeah. and you and I have talked about this many times about the the level of focus and concentration and then how quickly the distraction happens. And I think that's something that, you know, the mental health piece of it, we can we can sit here and frame this like it's a negative thing because I tell you what, uh about a, two months ago I went through the our group that I have down here and I just asked them word association. I said, if if I say mental, what's your first thought? And I had one person say, you know, it's about how I strategically attack this hitter. Every right. one of these kids, probably 40 high school guys that we work with, every one of them, 39 out of 40, said that it's a negative thing, that their yeah. first thought is negative. And I'm like, so when these coaches start saying, hey, man, you got a mental problem or you got that it's all mental, it's all then the first thought that they have is negative. It's the first thought is like there's something wrong with me. And now it's like, okay, where do I go find my identity at? And I think that's that's interesting when we start really, you know, and I know you're huge on that this is life. This is not just baseball, man. This yeah. is just, this is life. And I think that's a that's a real point that you brought up, man. That I'm with you, brother. I wish, I wish, as the baseball world or even the youth sports communities or whatever, like we would tackle this thing on without without everybody getting you know their panties in a bunch and getting in tight and like truly just sitting down and having a real conversation about it and not getting upset because I think this is something that 
is real. It's affecting a lot of these young players, and, and it's a conversation that we definitely need to have. Yeah, and, you know, um, there's also – I mean, there's a lot there to, to kind of go on. But, you know, I, I, had, a, I had a dad um, – it's a couple months ago now, but his kid was feeling all the pressures, not specifically to, like, social media, but feeling all the pressures of, like, you know, maybe some of his friends were moving past him or seemed to be, you know, moving up a little bit quicker, were throwing harder. A couple guys on his team had, you know, verbal commits. Um, and, uh, and you know, he was going to quit because, he, like he said, it was getting to him. And so I said to the dad, I don't, it just popped in my head, I said, well, then what will happen? Then what will mm-hmm. he do? So this, so, yeah, he quit. He'll feel good for two weeks because the pressure – the perceived pressure will be relieved. But yeah. then what is this young man going to do? You just took, you're going to take away the thing that he's been, I think the kid was like 15 or so, if I remember correctly. And you've been taking away the thing the kid's been doing for nine years. What, what are you going to replace that with? You know, because whatever yeah. comes in to replace it, you're going to have the, the same process is going to take, you know, if he thinks he's going to go to some other sport or some other school or, um, you know, it's the same thing is gonna is gonna pop up. You know, we we um, uh, took my sons to um, we we went up on a trip all the way up just kind of up the east coast, and uh, we stopped at a whole bunch of colleges. My my boys are really interested in that, and we stopped we stopped at Harvard and, and spent a couple days there. And mm-hmm. early in the morning, I'd go out do do running and stuff like that. And I'm gonna tell you, like, you know, with the amount of people that are out working out, exercises, running, running hard, running sprints. Like, I ran through the camp. I could feel, you know, you can feel it that this, this was ramping up. And to me, it, 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 and I've done a lot of stuff in, in higher education um, and, and some stuff in the, in the executive program at Harvard. And I could tell you that, like, it felt like game day. It felt like, the, it felt like a, a gearing up for a championship. And this was like Tuesday afternoon. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, I, you know, you could feel it. You could feel that these kids had this, there was something else that was, you know, kind of humming along with them. And, um, you know, uh, just, and also just to make a point on velocity, I think one of the most telling things um, this year was uh, Ben Joyce. Um, yeah. And Ben Joyce, you know, obviously, if you don't know, he, he was the, um, uh, you know, hardest, the second fastest, you know, pitch ever recorded. Right. Right. So if, if, now if, if Nolan Ryan threw harder or someone, whatever, you know, like that doesn't matter. But as of right now, he, there's only one human being who throws the ball faster than Ben Joyce. And that's Aroldis Chapman. Well, mm-hmm. Ben Joyce was taken um, 89th overall. Um, that, you know, now, so, People look at that and I say, you know, I wonder, I, I didn't count how many pitchers were taken before him, but, right, let's just say that, let's just say there was 88 picks, let's say, you know, a third of them, right? Let's say 25 to 30 pitchers, you know, yeah. were selected. Probably, there were probably more, but there were, let's just say 25 pitchers selected ahead of a man who threw the second fastest has this uh, living man with the second, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> the second yeah. fastest living yeah. fastball, right? But now take that conversation and let's go to whoever's a great track school, right? Um, I don't know. 
right? But so, so whoever's a, a, a great uh, track and field university, and they found someone who had run the second fastest 60-yard dash in human history, that the only person faster than him was Usain Bolt. And I think, what was Ben Joyce, like one, 105.5? And I think yeah, he was, I think yeah. Chapman he was, was, I think Chapman was like 105.8 or something like that. Uh, whatever. It's, it's literally the same thing. You know, we're talking about tens of miles per hour. Could you imagine if there was a guy who ran the second, only, the only person faster than him was Usain Bolt, what a track coach would be able to do with that runner. And the fact Absolutely. That, 80, that, that in a draft that they saw 88 amateur players that, were, that they thought were more valuable than Ben Joyce, that speaks, if there's not an argument to be made for how the way they're thinking about velocity, there's nothing is. Because basically what, dro- what dropped him in the draft, to me, I can't speak you know, exactly, and I don't know, have any other information other than my opinion, is that they thought, he's not going to be able to do that for a long time. In other words, he's not going to stay healthy. He can't do anything else. Um, can't throw any other pitches. Can't do all the things you teach in, you know, word or picture book. Um, he can't do, he, he can't strategize. He can't control it. It's a good number. It, it gets a lot of headlines. It blew up social media, but it was, it, I'd, I'd imagine that was probably one of the most popular posts, certainly of the college world series, if not, in all of amateur baseball when he, when he did that, right? One of the popular posts and videos and shared and stuff like that. Oh, absolutely. Yep. 89th in the draft. That, I mean, the score, so it's always a great indicator, right? Show me the scoreboard. You would think that yeah. if some kid, if some kid from university or, or Tennessee high school ran the second fastest 60 yard dash alive, I would imagine that he would be the top recruit for whatever the top 25 college track programs in the country would be and probably would have the Olympia, you know, the Olympic committee knocking down his door. But he yeah. wasn't drafted yeah. number one. He wasn't taken right to the major leagues, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so no, and I think that's, that's, that's a telling. point well taken. Yeah. And I think, and again, it's not, it's not taking nothing away from him. He, he's, He's a no, phenomenal no, no, player. He's doing, but I think it's it's the perspective, and it's like what we've been touching on today. When we look at when we look at it through the players' eyes and and what they think, and and I was talking to a parent last night about this. It's like the you know because he was talking about how many of these kids are actually watching games versus just watching the highlights on social media. And so they yeah. don't see the whole impact. They don't see everything that happened with it. They just see that one pitch or they see that home run or they see the strikeout. Or, and I think when we look at it from that perspective, because, and I don't know about your case, but I've talked to a bunch of these kids. They don't even know what these stats mean, man, to be totally real with you. And I told yeah. Jeff down here, I was like, hey, man, like, seriously, we're going to have to start teaching these kids what the stats are because they don't know what ERA is. They don't – they think a walk is a hit. They think, you know, like right. – and, again, when we stop and think and say, oh, man, you're just nitpicking a little bit, you know, it, it's really about how we took in information or how we learned the game. And I think that's, that's a perspective, too, and I know you and I will probably touch on this sooner or later because we're starting to see it that these kids are playing so many games throughout the summer. Like I had kids that played 75, 80 games this summer. 
which was just yeah. mind-blowing to me that they were playing tournaments and they'd play six, seven, eight, eight games in a tournament and they would play eight or nine tournaments and then if they did any league games, it was on top of it. And so yeah. you had to manage you had to manage thirteen and fourteen year olds like they were professional pitchers. Like, no man, like you gotta recover these two days, you gotta come in and do like and it was just it was just mind blowing. And so but the the back end of that is is that when they're struggling and they don't hardly practice at all, like they don't know where to fix it at. They don't know how to fix it. And so what yeah. happens in season, Paul, man, when these guys are struggling, when they start to struggle, they usually struggle the whole summer. And rarely yeah. are these kids rarely are these kids able to fix it. And we probably did 10, 10 assessments in the last two weeks. And really good athletes that have started off hot, got off to a good start, started struggling, and ended up struggling for the last two months. Just never could fix yeah. it. Just knew, and so it's to me that's an interesting conversation because I always ask these kids like, "Where do you start at? Like, what what did you do to try to make some adjustments?" And they just look at you like, "What are you talking about?" Like, "Yeah, man. Yeah. So what have you been working on in practice? What have you been doing?" Like, "Dude, we haven't practiced twice since February." And I, I'm like, Dude, "Like, that's just as mm-hmm. real as it gets, man. As much as we can." sit here and point fingers or do whatever. It's just the reality of how the the youth baseballs play today. Like they don't hardly practice and they play a ton of games and and a lot of times, like you said earlier, when you go back through their game changer stats and start looking at it, you can see when the struggle started and then you can just track it. Just like this yeah. like they never did get back on track. And so man, a lot of these kids by the time they come in or the time they reach out to you are like they are. It's a mental thing. It really becomes a, a something that they have no idea how to fix it. Yeah, you know, and just just last thing on the on the Ben Joyce thing is I, I'm I'm nothing against Ben Joyce, but I have I have a whole lot against his coach. His coach is an absolute clown, um, and don't have a problem saying that. Uh, but because and the reason why I would say I, I would also say that forget about all the stupid stuff he does on the field and disrespects the game and as players are disrespectful and all that. But he had a guy who's got the second fastest fastball, living fastball, and he was drafted 89th. Now, all the things we just said about why Ben Joyce may not have been selected, you know, that, you know, that high. But again, he's, he's probably a great kid, a fine young man, but he, he was not coached. I don't, you'll never convince me that he was coached because what would, what would have, what would happen to that kid if he spent a couple of days with me and you, what we could have done, with that, I'd be kid. interested. You know, we, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And so, to, to, for 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 the criticisms, for whatever the criticisms are about his off-speed pitches, endurance control, and all those all those other kind of things, he was born with a fastball. So I'll credit, I'll, you know, credit God with the fastball. Everything else, he he he's going to have to learn. And if he doesn't know it, it's because he wasn't taught it. And if he and if that young man with that ability wasn't taught the things to do. He didn't have a coach who cared enough to teach it to him. And saw, and not forget about caring enough to teach it to him, not to any kid, but saw that, hey, if we can teach this kid things, the difference between being first in the draft and 89th in the draft, financially, let, let's look it up. Oh, yeah. You, <laughs> what, what do you think it is? Let, let's look up uh, baseball draft bonuses. Um, 
But you know what I'm saying? Well, there, you know, like yeah, it, well, I've seen, been... I've seen Holiday play this year. Like, I'm down here. He's from Tulsa, Stillwater down here. So I've seen Holiday play the last two years a lot. And that kid's a nice player, man. Don't get me wrong. Like he's, Oh, he's, I know. I love, he's, I, uh, Holiday's a great, he's gonna yeah, be a, Holiday's great. Yeah, he's going to be a good player. And it's one of those things that – but when you sit here and, and get in, try to get into 30 GMs' heads, then I think it's, it's super interesting to, to see – you know, exactly what what they were thinking about him because, yeah, you would have thought that he would have been a top 10 pick or he, you know, a kid that's got that kind of stuff. And I think he's pitching pretty well, man. I don't think he's, you know, he's struggling in pro ball. But I think, it, I think when we sit here and look at it from the 10,000-foot view, like you're trying to help these young people look at, you can't just take, you know, one one freak athlete even, or one guy that can sit here and do something that's super incredible, and that becomes the litmus test for whether you keep playing or not, or whether your son's any good or not, or whether this is the new benchmark, or if I'm not here. And I think that's where a lot of the conversations we've been having is like, you know, it's just so they they're so caught up into just seeing the like you said the best of everything that's happening that when they start comparing and they start looking in the mirror about where they're really at and kind of what their goals are it almost it's like you said it almost seems like a fantasy man yeah but also so the difference between uh being the first pick in the draft is 8 million 8.1 million versus he got a little bit under a million. He got uh, nine hundred ninety-seven thousand. Yeah. But in the top ten picks, you're talking about five million. You know, it doesn't break. It oh, breaks. Yeah. So if he'd have gotten into the top, the first round, he would have doubled his his bonus, and and it would have been you know exponentially went up from there. So you know, for me, that that comes down to coaching. And yeah, I hope he does well too. You know, I certainly, I'm sure he's a fine young man. I hope he does well too. Um, but if he doesn't do well. Um, you know, that's his coach. That's, that's coaches. That's coaches weren't able to give him the, those tools. So, um, and also too, just kind of, um, you know, I'm hearing from more of the guys that I know in college that um, they're just, you know, uh, and, and I'm, I'm sure we're going to get into NIL transfer portal in future podcasts. Oh but, yeah. Um, yeah. One of the, one of the things that some coaches are telling me because of NIL and transfer portal that, you know, they may see a 93, 94 mile per hour guy. And, you know, if they come in and they do well at their school, you know, that kid might be gone, you know, and they don't want to be a farm system, you know, and, and even if they stay, what they're seeing now over time is that the hard throwers are great, but they don't stay healthy, you know, so there's, there's a price to pay, you know, for driving that number up. And, um, the price you pay is, is obviously with your health and your performance and, and your, in your development of being an overall pitcher, which would actually get you the things that you think just that velocity number is going to get you. Because exactly, Ben Joyce, there's literally no one on earth uh, aside from Aldis Chapman, and that didn't get him into the first round. You would think that would make yeah, him number yeah. one. Yeah, you, yeah. Again, man, I think when we just look at it from a pure numbers perspective – and I think this is, and again, we'll touch on this down the road, but you're, you'll see that the transfer portal, the impact of them cutting the draft of, of 
you know, there's a few things. It's like you know, COVID right now. We got 24, 25-year-olds still playing college baseball. Yeah. So there's yeah. like, they, yeah, there's there's some things that are about to play out over the next couple of years that should balance it out a little bit. But it's, to me, the, the big takeaway that I've looked at from the college perspective is to see how many of these college coaches were going to jump into that fray. And I'll be real yeah. with you. There's some of them that surprised me that that I thought, man, that guy right there is a old school guy. He's he's probably going to be a, you know mid major. He's going to protect his guys. And dude, they jumped right in that portal mess and started pulling people in and pulling. And I'm like, okay, brother, like if if you open Pandora's box in your program, then don't be mad when that kid is going to Vandy next year, or don't be mad when that kid's bailing yeah. on you and going. You know, don't don't sit here and blast these dudes on Twitter when you're sitting there snatching up these mid mid majors kids. You know, and I think that's the interesting piece of it because if the coaches can keep it right, then and it becomes just like free agency, then okay, man, we'll just have to teach these kids younger. Which I am the guys I got ready to go right now. Unfortunately, man, instead of them being, you know, saying, hey, I want to go find a place that I can play at for three or four years, dude, coaches don't even have that conversation anymore. It's really yeah. about how, how soon can you come in and make an impact on my program? Like, yeah. if, and so for these D1 guys, especially for high school seniors, like if you, if you legit can't come in and have an impact on their program, then – you're going to see that a lot of these kids that would have been D1 kids two, three, four years ago now are going to end up at D2, NAIA, JUCO, and they're basically going to be the minor leagues for all the power conference schools. And so yeah. that, to me, will be the, the interesting thing that we'll have to keep an eye on over the next next year or two and see how that plays out because – you're seeing the impact in college football, man, where these kids are just transferring left and right, man. It's just like free agency, and and there's a ton of money in the, the college football game. So it will be interesting to see the trickle-down effect on the other, you know, college sports and, and like you said, how the, uh, the NIL and the transfer portal and the fact that there's no loyalty anymore, it, you know, does that have a long-term impact on the quality of play? Yeah, I, I think that's probably a good topic for us to, to pick up on next week because, yeah, I, I've got certainly got some predictions on it. But just to just to, before I hope so I don't forget next week, you know, I've I've a, a coach I'm really close with who who basically said I'm not taking kids from the portal, and he goes because the minute I do it, I'm a portal school, and yep. so that means any kid that comes here, you know, if I'm a portal coach and I'm going to recruit kids who are okay going in and out of the portal, and he goes, look, that may it doesn't mean that kids might not leave. They can leave. He goes, but the minute I start taking them, now this becomes yep. a revolving door. And and he says, I'm I'm just going to do it, you know. And, and obviously, he needs to have the backing of his you know administration and stuff like that. And, sure. You know, a mid major school, but um, yeah, very interesting. All right, Daryl. So next week uh, we'll pick back up. And if you're listening and you want to check out the work that. Um, uh, that Daryl and I do, go to thewarriorpitcher.com. And I'll talk to you next week, Daryl. All right. Thanks, Paul. All right.